let's start with prayer. Prayer is always a good place. (laughs) Father, thank you for your desire to commune with us. And I just thank you for the way you continually open up your word and you give us eyes to see the depth of your heart. And Father, let which you want communicated to your sons be exactly that, that which is from your heart and nothing of my own accord, Father. And um, just let this time honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I've entitled this the winnowing principle. And, um, you know, it was interesting because someone, I don't remember, it could have been a Pastor Ron teaching. It could have been a dad or a mom. Somebody was teaching. <laughs> and um, in it, the prod- I think the prodigal son was mentioned. You know what? It doesn't matter because apparently I can't remember. Regardless, the father brought me to <laughs> the story of the prodigal son. And, you know, we've read the story a lot and from a lot of different perspectives. And, you know, prior to sonship, it was always the perspective of you have those who have been saved. And then the younger son represents those who've not been saved um, and they've squandered their life, you know, and then in sonship, certainly the perspective of those who walk in sonship and those who are coming into that point of understanding. And, um, but the father gave me yet another perspective and, you know, it being that of the younger son representing, you know, sons as a whole who were supposed to be moving into a new point of, um, partnership with the father. And in the midst of that, not having the proper perspective and needing that perspective adjusted (laughs) and just the process that you go through for that adjustment to come. And then the older son representing again, a seasoned established son, but maybe somebody who is just comfortable in their point of functioning and they're not allowing that same change in perspective to happen, which is why when the younger son comes back with his newly found perspective, the older one isn't there and ready to encourage and move forward with him, but lamenting that now the um, younger son is having favor, you know, shown to him that, well, I've been faithful all this time. And why do I not have a fatted calf killed for me and my friends so that we can get together and, and hang out. But, um, all of that to say the word that the father had me focus on in the scripture was the word wasted. And I have the definition first. So I'll read through that and give you kind of the, um, the definition of application so that as we're reading through scripture, you can also be making that application. But, um, the word for wasted is dia scorpizo and it's two words. It comes from two words. One is, I say dia, I guess dia, which is a channel or an act. And then scorpizo, which has to do with, um, something that has dissipated and it gives the definition there of to route or separate but especially to winnow, which is where I took the the winnowing principle from, um, figuratively to squander, to scatter abroad, um, 
waste strew about. And that word then roots back to Scorpios, which has to do through the idea of penetrating something that's been um, put to flight or been made waste of. And then Scorpios then roots to Scorpio, which means to pierce, talking about like the sting of a scorpion. And then that roots to Skeptomae, which have which means to peer about like a skeptic, um, through the idea of concealment and in then that goes to scapta, which is to dig. Now, granted, I had my initial definitions from the, um, the word search and mom and I were discussing it. And I had noticed on my olive tree program, which when she went and looked on her program in Thayer's, it also talks about the scorpion being something that is, um, what was it? Small or dark and can be hidden. It lurks. It lurks, right? Yeah. Right. It has that that poisonous instinct. So, essentially, winnowing is the channel that the father is using to remove or lay waste to anything that will keep sons from moving in to a new thing with him in accordance with his original intent. And it's a necessary process in which we have to be vigilant to not allow anything to poison our perspective in regards to how the father is accomplishing this winnowing process or what we have to give up in the midst of it. And, you know, it was interesting because when I actually just looked up winnowing, you know, cause I had a pretty good idea of what it was, but I wanted to make sure I was thinking correctly. And so, you know, you go online and it talks about, you know, winnowing is the method where by the heavier components are, um, of a mixture are separated from the lighter substance with the help of the wind. And so essentially it's separating the grain from the husk after the process of the threshing where the grain has already been separated from the shaft. And they actually noted in the natural, it's found to be very time consuming and an unreliable process because it's dependent on the wind. So I found it really interesting because how like the Lord to use a process that from man's perspective is unreliable because man has no control over it. And so, you know, God chose to use this word to describe the process by which he prepares his sons. Um, you know, it can't be controlled by man and it comes from his breath that's blowing upon his sons. And the father knows exactly when, and he knows how hard to blow his breath across us in order to remove those things that don't need to be part of our foundation because they're not aligning with his ways and his perspective. You know, and it just, it reminded me too, it's that same concept really of the sprinkling of the blood where, you know, you have the hyssop and it's being, that blood is being applied to those exact places where we need it to be submitted, to be purified so that we can move forward. Um, so with this in mind, um, let's read our first scripture, which is in Luke 15. Oh, see, look, <laughs> that's what happens when I don't look at my notes. Like I have a whole bunch of other things that I'm saying, but let's read first and then we'll go back and read the things. Um, okay. Yeah. And I mean, I think I said it already, but I had just, you know, that the story of the prodigal, it's not just about those. Um, I don't even know that I need to repeat that. <laughs> I was just saying it reflects a kingdom principle of how the father desires to blow his breath upon us, to remove anything that would keep us from operating in our full authority as a son. Um, 
So in Luke 15, 11 through 24, it says, and you know, it's interesting too, because this was, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other disciples. And this was a series of, um, revelation that he was giving them about the kingdom of heaven. You know, cause I think that's the other thing. Sometimes we just want to relate it to the earthly kingdom and we lose sight of the fact that he was telling them, this is how my kingdom operates. I mean, this is a kingdom principle. So and it says, and he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And, um, the word for goods is wisia or substance, which has to do with one's possessions. Um, and it says, and he divided unto them his living and that living is his actual life or his present state of existence is livelihood. That's what the father gives to us as sons. He, you know, we were talking about, we've been, have, have been talking about, you know, the living waters that the father gives to us. He gives us that element of himself. You know, it's that element of our identity and how we're to function. And obviously then we choose going forward, how we apply that, but that's what was being given. And it says, and not many days after the younger son gathered all and took his journey into a far country and there wasted. And this is our word. Diascorpizo, his substance with riotous living. And um, the word riotous there is actually, um, they say, you know, it's a negative particle, but it's a derivative of sozo. So properly, they would say an unsavedness. Savedness? Savedness? <laughs> so by implication, um, pro. Fligacy? I don't even know. I don't even know that word. Um, but, you know, primarily it's from the obsolete version of to be safe or to save, to be delivered or protected or made whole. Go ahead. Right. That's what, um, so, yeah, you said a wholeness. So really we're talking about he was, he was living in a way that was unwhole. Right. It, it wasn't going to fulfill. Right. The, what had been sown into him, what he was given. He was using what had been revealed to him, what had been handed down really for him to take and invest wisely. And he was applying it in a way where it wasn't going to cause him to fulfill his point of identity. Um, so he wasted it with riotous living. It says, and when he had spent all there arose, which is the word Jenemiah, a mighty or an Iskros famine in that land. And, you know, because I had other things I was going to say, sorry, I'm jumping around. I'll finish reading the scripture and then I'll go back and parse out the second half of it in a minute. Um, okay. So a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. 
But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. So going back up to the first part where, you know, we were talking about how the father or the son having winnowed away what he had. Essentially, he was putting forth his provision, his talents, his understanding of who he was, and hopes that the return that would come to him, he was looking for the world rather to give back to him a return for his investment. So whether that would have been, it could have been accolades or praise for, oh, you know, the lifestyle he had and then people wanting to be like him. So, Hey, let me invest in what you're doing or even, um, giving him favor or positions or jobs because of how he presented himself, you know, any number of things he expected that when he put forth his points of investment, that it would return to him some aspect of, um, provision. And the reality is when he put that forth, the father took that as his opportunity to winnow away all those things where the son had placed his passions or his trust in those natural, in the natural and say, you know what, this is not where, this is not who you were made to be. This is not your identity. And that's where the famine comes into play because we talked about the word, um, Iskaros and we know, and we understand that Iskaros is actually a power word and it's one that aligns with the RK. So it's always going to align with the father's original intent and his desire for this son and his desire for the place where he's established us. And so with this, the moment where he brought the winnowing, this was something that aligned with God's intent for this son from the beginning of time. Obviously, as we know for all of us, that we would walk in a point of identity that we're actually fulfilling our calling as a son. Um, all right. So let me, cause I like, I wrote it all down and I am just not following my format at all. So I apologize. Cause I have to find, um, where I wrote my note. Okay. So yes, the Iskros aligns with the RK operates from the understanding of the original tent of what God's will, what God wills and what he does. So the famine in the natural, in the physical, starved his flesh, and it took away those things that he had previously desired and viewed as his end all, that he had viewed as his success. And the famine ultimately accomplished the father's desire to tear down any stronghold or principality in this son that kept him from understanding and living in his identity. And so this is one of those instances where you think about something that the enemy meant for evil, the father turned and used for good because where the enemy wanted to destroy this son and have 
everything come to naught and to have him focus on his lack. And then it just snowball and him never see his need for, um, a change in perspective. The father was able to use this opportunity to radically change his perspective. And, um, with that, you know, just an application to ourselves, you know, the father, cause you think the father is always, it's like, we know there's the promise, there's the seal there's the fulfillment, you know, and you think of that seal being sometimes that valley place where you're waiting and you're having to fight through. And once you've made it through, then you're going up the hill, you're breaking through. But, you know, even in this instance, this point of winnowing was happening right up until the breakthrough came, you know, so the father is continually, it's like, giving us that point of revelation and understanding. And then in our application of that, remembering that it's not about the end goal because we know that's not changing, but it's about the journey that gets us there. And so we have to continually allow his breath to move over us and continually align our heart, our mind, our actions, what we say with his perspective on what he's doing, because the last thing we want is for our own perspective. Like we were talking about that scorpion aspect to, you know, be lurking nearby to then pierce and, um, keep us from allowing the, um, the winnowing to be effective really, because, you know, when you think about that, that could look like as far as the piercing for us, it could look like regret. It could look like complaining about a situation that the father has you in that he's using as part of this winnowing process. You know, it makes you think of Paul when he asked the Lord several times to take away, you know, that thorn in his side and the father's response is my grace is sufficient. This winnowing process is a grace process because we come through it and we move into a new point of promotion because of the refinement that is happening in this process. And so it's kind of one of those perspectives that, um, you know, we recognize that this process is what is allowing us to stay on the path of alignment with the father's heart and for us to grow in grace. And so then we gladly accept it and we don't want to open our mouth and speak anything that would be a, um, a complaint or a speaking against the process the father's using, because we know that then becomes that point of bitterness that when you're focused on that, you no longer have your eyes on what the father's called you to. Um, and you know, for another example, this was Israel. You know, you think about Israel in the desert before they ever went into the desert, they were shown the promised land. You know, they had the spies that went out and said, it is flowing with milk and honey. There is so much provision. There's an abundance. And you had those that had their eyes, Joshua and Caleb focused on what the father was seeing as provision, you know, and then you have those who saw the provision and they were like, nope, nope, we can't do it. You know, we're not ready for that because there's going to be these obstacles. We had to overcome the giants in the land and there's just no way that we're ready to come up against that. And so because they weren't ready to move into the promised land, then the father then used the wilderness as their winnowing experience to get them in that right mindset where when he told them, I need you to move forward in this fashion, they weren't going to say, 
no, we're not going to do that because that just doesn't make sense. They were going, okay, Lord, we're there. We now have your perspective. We see what you were doing and we're going to move as you direct us. Um, but you know, even in the midst of that process in the wilderness, you still see that they were complaining about the method or the channel that God was using to try and refine them, to try and winnow them, you know, and they were even, mom and I were discussing, you know, the point where they wanted to go back to Egypt and they were under slavery. They had no freedoms in Egypt. You know, they were given little supplies and they were expected to still accomplish the same job. And if they didn't, their masters were going to beat them. And yet this is what they were longing for because they didn't want to submit to that process that the father was using to prepare them to be sons, to prepare them to walk as those who would represent his authority on this earth, you know, and it's not so different for us when we find ourselves in the midst of a circumstance, which we all know, you know, through studying scripture that God uses our, um, what is the word I want? <laughs> I mean, he uses what happens in our life to refine us and bring not just us to a point of fruitfulness, but the place that he's estimated us in or set us in. And we may even receive promises in regards to how the father wants to use us. And these promises may come through prophetic words given by other saints. It may come through our times of intercession when the father is giving us understanding of um, something in his word or even of a vision that he's given us personally. And in the midst of that, though, once we have that promise, we then have to strive, it, you know, daily and really moment by moment to allow his breath to take away again, anything in us that's going to be a point of resistance, which often is what's coming from our own mind and our own will and our emotions, but be a point of resistance to what God has shown us he wants to do. And, you know, point in case, we probably all have people in our lives who either occasionally or in a more consistent fashion are a source of irritation, you know, because they know how to push the right buttons by what they say, by what they do, how they treat us, how they don't treat us. Um, and we realize, you know, like I tell my kids, you know, your sibling, that is your training ground for life. You know, if you can't be kind to them, if you can't speak words of encouragement and life over who they're supposed to be, then when you get into this situation with your friend or someone at school who's being ugly, you know, are you going to be prepared to be the one instead of joining in with, um, even if they're saying mean things about you and then you start beating yourself up going, yeah, I guess I really, I really am dumb or I really didn't get that quick enough. You know, any number of ways that you take something that somebody says, and instead of realizing they're maybe speaking from a point of lack of understanding of their own identity and how they're to function. And so then you can take that opportunity to declare a word of truth over them that, and God's timing, like this famine may be the thing that opens their eyes so that they can be winnowed and understand how they're to function. But instead of seeing it as that opportunity, if you take on some of the negative things they're saying and you just pile them on yourself and you let that 
define your identity. Like you say, yep, that's who I am. I'm just not smart enough for this. Or I screw it up every time. You know, I'm not good at communicating. I'm not good at, you know, sharing your truth father. Cause every time I try, you know, I say the wrong thing or I'm not and your timing. And yet those experiences are really what the father is trying to open our eyes to see. Okay. So maybe you didn't say this in the right fashion, but I'm having you, I'm opening your eyes to see that this is what needs to change. This is what you need to allow me to change your perspective so that when you're pressed in upon what comes forward, isn't, um, like the thing that's goading you, what it causes you to respond with is coming from your point of relationship with God and not from the circumstance itself and what that situation is bringing out in you. And, um, let me see, <laughs> how did I word it? Yeah. And I know even for myself, sometimes that perspective of, okay, father, what are you doing in the midst of this situation? I'm better at doing that like five minutes after the situation has happened. But I know that what the father really wants is that in the midst of it, in the midst of that pressing, that my first response is what is coming from his heart. And it's not, <laughs> sorry, that what's coming out of my mouth isn't just because my flesh has been pricked because Again, those opportunities are always looking to be that point of pricking. And it's like if that pricking causes us to rise up in anger or rise up with the injustice of what's going on and start declaring that versus to see how, wait a minute, again, because it's got to be instantaneous. And we know that this is something the Father's perfecting in us. We know that He's perfecting the being ready in and out of season, you know, and being ready on that moment that we're confronted to have our response be only what would come from his heart. And, um, and I know I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, but I couldn't think of that without thinking of Stephen. Sorry. I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> Because, you know, as he's being, as he was being stoned, even in the midst of that, I mean, any of us, because like some like, and we've heard these examples multiple times, but you think about Moses, when the people weren't listening, he was goaded to let them have it and let them know how they were so missing the mark. And where Stephen could have done that, where he could have let the people know, look, you're killing me. You're killing your opportunity to know your identity. You're killing your opportunity to walk as, a, I mean, he could have said it so many ways, you stiff neck people, but he didn't instead, because he was looking at the father's, he was able to see what the father was doing, how the father was seeing the situation. That was what he declared over them. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I mean, his every word was issuing forth from what he knew the father's heart was. Amen. <sighs> This is aligning, too, with what Pastor Ron spoke on last Sunday about being a witness, someone who is um, willing to give whatever is necessary for the cause that has been entrusted to us by the Father. 
knowing there's going to be a cost to pay. And that right. really describes Stephen. He was a man full of power and faith. Faith and power. That's probably where the order it comes. Right. And and so it was it was that vein, that perspective that he was relating to the people, which is why part of the definition of being a witness is when it talks about Jesus in Revelation being the Amen, the Amen, mm-hmm. which comes from Amon, being at the right hand, being faithful, which is being, um, it's it's taking what was released at the right hand and being faithful to that. And um, the true witness, you know, being that person willing to die for the things that have been concealed you know, willing to give your all, be wholly sold out to the things right. that are that are released, that are hidden, and knowing it will cost you something because right. it's not always putting your head on the chopping block. I mean, that's certainly not, that's just one definition. <clears throat> Apparently that was Stevens. But right. even if that had not happened, that was what he was giving. Right. And, and that's why he was able to see God or see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father because, because that's part of what he was doing as a witness to those people. Right. Well, and so and so he'd been through the winnowing process because I have no doubt that leading up to that point, the father had to time in again like he does with us. Anytime something creeps in that wants to um, subverse or take the place of keeping our eyes focused on that right hand and what the father's doing that we have to be redirected. And so, um, yeah. And I think Stephen was so faithful to that, that he had a reputation amongst everybody that knew him. They knew that he was, he was going to fulfill what happened, you know, what God was releasing at the right hand, no matter what, that's why he was a man of faith. And right. then, hence, because of that, a man of power. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, okay. You know, and you realize, too, that our loved ones, and I'm saying our loved ones because, you know, our churches are loved ones, too. And the scripture talks about ironing sharpen iron. And it's easy for us to be the one to sharpen someone else. But then when God's saying, nope, this needs to be sharpened in you, to say, all right, Lord, whatever it takes, I'm going to receive that. And I'm not going to push against it. I'm not going to kick against the goat or say, no, quit doing that. Because ultimately, we would gladly accept the challenging time or the thing that presses on us, if in the end, it means we are going to come out more closely aligned with the father's heart and able to be sons of faith, able to be those who are continually seeing what's happening at the right hand and partnering with that. We would give it all, you know? Um, so, and you know, the other aspect too, is that it doesn't always have to be what we verbalize out loud, you know? So when we are being goaded, are we responding again, even in our head? It's like, even if we choose not to say anything, but then do we go off in our head? We're thinking it over and we're complaining in our head and we're listing out all the ways we've been wronged and how that person is such a jerk or they're, you know, whatever it is that we've assigned to that moment, that that's where our focus is instead of with that partnership of faith for what the father is trying to accomplish. And that's, that's really a challenge, especially I'm thinking of a situation right now, someone I'm talking with, where they're they're going through this in their church, where you have an element of um, 
what do you call it? Um, you've got a division, people that are really want to be led by the spirit and people that are trying to lead by man. Right. And so mm-hmm. you've got a challenge to authority, spiritual authority in the midst of that. And you know what comes from off, spins off of that, all types of icky stuff. And so it's, it's, um, it can be complete, it can be very challenging to not let that rule your thoughts. Right. And try to figure out, you know, how can we combat this and how can we fix it and how we're really just continue to pursue the Lord. Right. Continue to focus on, on, even if you're not in sonship, continue mm-hmm. to focus. Yeah. Seek first. first his kingdom and his righteousness. <laughs> and even all those things will be added. We think of that in a positive way. Well, whatever I need, he'll provide. Well, he'll do that as well with the church. And, and uh, as my counsel was, God will take care of this eventually. Right. If, if they, if, if, unless they, there's a change of heart, which of course is what you hope for. But if that doesn't happen, God will, God will take care of it in his time. Oh, and it's interesting because the very last scripture on our sheet actually addresses that sort of thing. But that, you know, in the sense of, um, you know, God's applying the winnowing process to the church as a whole too. So yes, we have to be faithful. And that's part of that revelation that first things first, you know, what Paul was talking to, what was it the church in Ephesus about, but you've lost your first love, you know, we have to, we know and the revelation of our intercession and our pursuing his agape, that that has to come first. That's a revelation we've had for the last, you know, 17, 20 years that we've been in this walk, but we have to remember, we have to continue to do that. That has to be our focus because it's then from those points of commune and relationship that the other revelation comes that will allow for this ongoing point of winnowing for this ongoing point of being prepared to really move in to the new thing with him. And so if we stop doing those things, if we forsake that point of intercession, I mean, that's what everything else is based on. That's how you know what's at his right hand, because that's that point of relationship. And, um, that you're really, again, even in intercession, we know dying to your own thoughts and partnering so that his spirit prays through you for what the father is wanting to do. And, um, and again, I know that that's not, like a new mind blowing concept, but I just feel like the father wants to remind us, you know, in this time frame, for how he's using us as sons. And when we're always on the precipice of that new thing that he needs us to partner with him, that we have to expect that if we're going to stand as Stephen did, that we have to continue to go through this winnowing process. Um, so yeah, another reason this winnowing process is so important is that out of the heart comes the treasures. And if, if there is something in our heart that is uh, askew or that is um, is not been uh, cleansed to purity, then that's going to underlie whatever comes out. Right. Even if you have an initial revelation from the Father, the way you relate it isn't necessarily going to be the full understanding of what he was showing you. Right. So we have to submit to this winnowing process because that's what's cleansing. That's what's taking away uh, bitterness. That's what's taking away um, uh, judgment that has been established for some reason. Uh, And and so it's, it's really essential to submit to this and uh, you know, not to, like you say, uh, resist it, but to really embrace it. Right. Well, and you know, like mom was saying in that 
example with, you know, that church body that you can tweak your message and you can present it in such a way that you think, okay, this is going to have a greater impact on these people who are really pushing back where the father's going, I just need you that truth that exactly the way I've revealed it to you is what I need you to speak and that I will handle the rest. And even if the handling means I'm going to bring some more people like this in because there's still a point where I'm refining you or I'm using those people to refine other people in the congregation. The father knows again, exactly what's needed how much of his breath has to be applied to us in order to take away those things that aren't aligning. Um, and so, you know, to, like I said, I'd kind of parse out the, the bottom portion of the scripture. So we were talking about, you know, when he had spent everything that then there arose, meaning the father had timed from the very beginning, this famine, which was this point of wanting and the land and the word for land there is Korah, which has to do with a chasm or an empty space. Um, and it says, and he began to be in want, which is the word hysterion, which means to feel inferior or to fall short. And again, it's interesting because we know it's always about that empty place. It's always about in the hollow where there seems to be nothing, where we are in want that the father is then going to partner with us to bring his miraculous provision. You know, how many times have we said it? You know, everybody wants the miracle, but nobody wants to have to be in the place for that miracle to occur because it means that we have to be in this point of nothingness. And yet here the son was. And so initially, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, mom. Well, I was just going to say, and it also carries a connotation of uh, coming behind, falling back from. So he was failing to be a partaker in what his identity was, was ordained for him. Right, right. And, and to the point that it says he went and he joined, which is interesting. I didn't write down the actual word, but the word joined, it has to do with gluing yourself, you know, like to a citizen. So somebody who had been in warfare, which it says to bustle warfare as whether it's a single encounter or a series, um, to have fought, you know, that war. So it's like someone else had already done the fighting <laughs> and he's trying to attach himself to that of the country. And then this person sends him forth on a temporary errand, because that's the word sent, means to dispatch on a temporary errand um, into the fields to feed the swine. And when it says he would feign, the word for feign has to do with having set his heart upon something or longing for something. He was longing to fill his belly. And the word belly has to do with a hollowness. It talks about the heart or the womb. So that creative capacity, um, with the husk and that the swine did eat. And the word for husk, it was interesting because it talked about a carob tree, but it talks about a horn and then it roots to the hair of the head. And so the father was just showing me, you know, he was longing to fill his heart's desire with this creative capacity to have some version, even though it was the husk, you know, like that, but that point of authority, like more than just physically filling his belly, that authority that comes, cause you think about the head representing the authority. Um, go ahead. This sure speaks of the way Adam and Eve decided to use fig leaves. They were seeking to fill their creative capacity with something that, that they had lost. Right. I mean, they had lost the covering of the father. And so they were seeking something else. He had lost his nourishment. He lost his position, his creative capacity of who he was born to be. And so he was seeking anything. He's trying to do anything to fill that gap. 
Right. And have some measure of authority or like dignity, like, yes, I can <laughs> survive. Right. Go ahead. Yeah. It's, um, at this point, like you said, he's so desperate. He's trying to find that fulfillment in, in other causes. He's still not turning to the, to the one that he right. knows she should be at. And, um, it's interesting that he even went as far as to, to unite himself, make a union between him and someone of, um, that would, would utilize the ultimate abomination for a Jew, which is to have him feed pigs. Right. I mean, that was, but you know, God will let us go to that point because then it makes you realize because he, <laughs> he cares enough, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to allow something like that. And sometimes he has to do that to get our attention. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, um, of course, it's always great if we just submit ourselves in the first level and <laughs> right. But so then when it does happen, we're not going, God, how could you let this happen? You know, again, I've been faithful. I've done this because at any point that, like we said, we stop applying his revelation or even our function and our identity and alignment with his ways, we've opened ourselves up to need that point of winnowing. So then we can expect it may not be this exactly, but that something's going to come and it's not necessarily going to feel good. It's not going to be a comfortable situation because in the comfort, we don't realize our lack, you know? Well, and I think we have to recognize that even some of the things he's going to employ, even if we're submitting ourselves to that All right. are going to be things that we may might cause us to go, wait a minute. That's something I cannot allow. That's something that has no part because, you know, I, I know what that means for me and that, that can't be part of, part of this. And, this, and yet God's going, wait a minute, I'm using this to, to try to reform you and realign you in this one area that needs to come into a, a more expansive point. Right. Because you figure as God's oh, expanding us into the new, it's new because we've not seen it or known it before. So then there's a pretty good possibility that what we've come through, all those prepared us, we're still going to need yet a different perspective on what's happening to actually move forward. Okay. So <clears throat> I'm up there listening to all the things you're saying and all that. It's really cool. I'm like, hey, Adrian, you just have, that's a cool way that you're presenting it. And you have a real understanding of that. And I started thinking about your job forces you to be willing to be winnowed your job because of what you do if you don't continually learn and and all that kind of thing in the natural natural, people could die kids could be could suffer from something that that you've done so you have that kind of perspective while looking at it from a kingdom you know and, and just bringing that right into if you don't allow yourself to be winnowed, then things, things could be turned bad, not just for you, but for the people right. around you. Right. For the place that God's estimated you, you know, he's established his life and death. And it's, and it's interesting because, you know, I know I've not made it through this scripture yet, but this whole process, you know, when you look in, um, what's our next scripture? Is it Luke, Matthew, Matthew. And he's talking to his disciples, you know, at that point, he's letting them know that they're going to be winnowed, you know, before he rises again, that they're going to be subjected to this process. And so, you know, like mom was saying, even when we're moving in accordance with the heart of the father, 
you know, his disciples here. And, and again, we'll get there, but you know, they were, how many times were they, their perspective of what the father wanted to do was, well, Jesus is going to come in and he's going to take out the Roman government. He's going to establish himself over these Pharisees and Sadducees, and we're going to be on his right and left. And we're going to be ruling with him. And that's, he was trying to help them understand that that's not how the kingdom of God was going to work. And because even up until his death, they were still thinking that way. I mean, that's why Peter lopped off the ear of the, the soldier because, well, you're not going to take Jesus. You know, he's the rightful son of God, but the father was needing their perspective to be different. And again, when you then look at how they were before his death and how many times he taught them and why aren't you getting this? How many times must I tell you? And then after how they were the ones who were powerfully moving, you know, declaring the gospel of the kingdom, a big change in understanding and perspective, but because of this winnowing process. But, um, so to go back though, really quick and, um, finish out our first scripture, um, so, you know, he's at this point and it says, and when he came to himself, you know, he had that moment and he realized that even his father's servants had an abundance, you know, they had enough to spare and yet he was perishing with hunger. That's when he arose and went forth. And so what's interesting is he was coming to the father. It says, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw, and the word for Saul is Ido, which is to perceive with the eyes. Um, when you look in the, our line upon line, it talks about to follow point by point or being seen for who you were created to be. And so this is how the father saw his son. When he was still off, he was seeing him for how he was supposed to function, who God had made him to be. And, and it talks about, he had compassion, you know, we know that's that splenazo or from the, your, um, like the, the bowel of your emotion, um, and that he ran. So he had, he raced or he had a course, you know, he had a, a direct path and it says, and he fell on his neck. And so he embraced him violently because, and you think about the neck being, you know, that willingness to move with the directive of the father, you know, to move our head and to look wherever the father is looking that, um, that the father, let me see, I wrote mine. <laughs> so, okay, well, I'll keep reading. So that happened and it says, and then he, um, and you know, and he kissed him, which is really a point of entrusting one with the hearts and needs of another, like he could share with him, you know, and from that point, you know, the son says that he had sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. It says, but the father said to his servant or the one who was bound to him, bring forth the best or the protos. So the first thing, um, the first robe and then, and put it on him. And the word for robe has to do, it's like, it's a point of equipment or a mark of dignity. And it actually roots back to his And he was told to put it on him. So invested in him because the word for put on has to do with invest or sinking into and put the ring, 
which the word for ring is actually dactylos or ring finger, which has to do, it roots back to the number 10. And we know that relates to operating as a lawful authority. And when he put it on his hand, that hand again talks about the hollowness for grasping or a channel and shoes on his feet, which we know to be, you know, that point of dominion. And so essentially the father brought out that which represented the first things that the son had been created to move in and stand on behalf of. And he invested that back into the son and that then allowed him to move in a restorative fashion that was needed for his point of partnership. And he made it known to the sons then that his son or to the servants that his son was in a position of lawful authority to give commands on his behalf. You know, when we, focus when we've been winnowed and our focus is on the father's heart and his desire. He gives us when that then becomes our sole focus, he then is going to give us the authority to speak on behalf of that as his witness. Um, and he's making it known to the spirit realm. And in that he's putting, you know, we've got that we're equipped with that first thing that the father intended for us to function in, or the first thing that's going to be necessary to move forward into that new point of dominion. The father is going to equip us with that and he's going to prepare us. Um, and in that, then you have the freedom. We have the freedom to move and to live and to have our being because we've allowed ourselves to be winnowed. And it's like we've said, like I said already, it's that point of grace. Um, you know, so the moment has set up or the father has set apart moments to have those things within us that don't align with his heart. Again, taken away, blown away by his spirit and in his perfect timing, that which he has established from the foundations of the earth will rise up and function in accordance with his ways. And again, this is how the kingdom of God operates. Um, he's gladly going to give the insight of his heart to those that are seeking him, but any application that's not aligning with his way, he's going to take out. And as I just mentioned earlier in Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 and 32, he's telling his disciples that this process is necessary for them. And it says, then saith Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended. And the word for offended has to do with being entrapped or tripped up, enticed to sin. So enticed to miss the mark because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. And the word for scattered abroad is our word, diascorpizo. Um, but after I am risen again, which that talks about being roused from inactivity to operate in the marketplace again. And we know that that marketplace is where as sons, as the ecclesia, we go forth and we make those transactions um, for the heavenly things. I will go before you into Galilee. And it's interesting because Galilee is where he took them into. And Galilee actually meant a heathen circle that rooted to Galileo. Um, so making a circle which then roots to galal, which is to roll or to commit, to remove. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Ron talked about all around this, the Sea of Galilee were, were points of basically strongholds or demonic activity that were going on. And so really he's, he's going to want, he's going to lead the way as that we should follow with 
basically the light into those dark places. Right. Misused places. Right. To bring the restoration. So, but in order to be able to function in that way, you know, they, um, and again, that was, sorry, that's kind of what I said, you know, they, they were to meet in a city whose name was rooted in new beginnings or the commitment to roll the wicked things away so they could be restored to God's original intent. And the same scattering or the winnowing had to happen in the lives of the disciples for them to fully step into their purpose as the father intended. And this is what Jesus had been telling them all along, which I know I jumped ahead earlier, but this goes back to, you know, Jesus giving them all these examples, you know, this parable of the son and, you know, the father and the sons, the parable of the steward and the talents, you know, that he was telling them, this is how my kingdom operates. This is the perspective that I'm going to be using to prepare you. And yet they still at, to that point hadn't quite understood. Um, because we know that, you know, right after this con this point in scripture, then they go off to Gethsemane where he's in the garden praying. And really the very thing he'd been teaching them is then what Jesus was doing because in his death, it was the ultimate example of how we operate in partnership with the father because in the garden, Lord, I don't want to move. I want to make sure this is your perfect timing that I'm moving in. You know, is this the cup that I'm to drink now? And so in the natural, they had to be on this journey to come to this point. They were dispersed before they could come back to that original intent and move forward in the authority and the understanding of what the father had taught them. Um, okay. Yeah. And I just said, you know, before the death, the disciples knew Jesus was going to be victorious, but imagined him rising up and throwing down the rules of Rome and those of the Jewish faith who had form, but no function. So the Pharisees and Sadducees, um, because even here it talks about, you know, if you go a little further that he tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And he says, no, Lord, I won't deny you. In fact, I'll go to the death with you. And, and it says, and all the other disciples said the same thing. You know, they repeated that back. Oh, go ahead. I thought it was kind of interesting that Peter makes that statement about offense because that word for offense is talking about, there's a couple of different things that it talks about, but one also means, um, to cause to judge unfavorably or unjustly. And he's saying, you know, I know there's, and, and the word because really is not part of that definition. That's an interesting word that they chose because mm -hmm. it really is, could be in, by, or with. So he's basically saying, I know that there's going to be a lot of other people that may be uh, brought to this point of judging unjustly or unfavorably mm -hmm. with you, in you, by you, so people that are aligning with, with him, but I'll never do that. Right. I will never. And, and Jesus is trying to tell him, well, you will. Right. And that's that unless very you, unless you, yeah. unless you submit to this winnowing process, you certainly will. Right. And you know, and so you think in the garden when he's like, can you not pray with me? And that was part of that part of what had they submitted in that moment, <laughs> it may have been a very different outcome for them. You know, I say different outcome. It would have been the same because they still would have gone forth, but it may have happened in a different fashion. But because they didn't, you know, then he did deny him. And so, um, yeah. Sorry, I'm just reading through to make sure. Okay. And certainly, 
I'm just looking through because again, I was talking out of order. So some of the things that I have written down, I've actually already said, so I don't need to repeat it. So yeah. And again, sometimes, you know, even when you sit and you listen to a teaching and you're taking in what's being said and you think, ah, oh, I'm always going to have this right perspective. You know, I'll never say this outside of your timing because we realize the importance. And then again, we're, we're goaded. We're in that moment with, and I'm just going to go back to somebody who loves us because we're surrounded by people who love us. And yet continually we have those opportunities where because they love us sometime or because we're so close, they say the thing that really hits the closest, you know, to us. And in that moment, if we're not staying submitted again, we'll end up denying the Lord. We know because that denial can just be not being faithful to proclaim his point of truth or life into that situation. And we partner with that negative that we see, because that's in essence, God is saying, no, this is how I'm using the situation. And instead of again, using our voice to partner with what we know he's doing, we just declare out of our flesh. Yes. And we miss the mark because that's what that, um, what is it being offended, you know, missing the mark again, that perspective of understanding that missing the mark is not being aligned with the heart of the father. And so then in acts five verses 34 through 39, we see that concept like earlier, you know, when mom was talking about how the father will take care of those who aren't aligning with him. And this is when, um, Peter and the other disciples had been sharing the gospel of the kingdom. They were talking about Jesus death and resurrection and believing in him. And so and it starts in 34 and it says there stood up one in the council, a Pharisee. Oh, so before this, the other Pharisees were wanting to kill them then because they wouldn't stop preaching. And, um, so stood up a Pharisee named Gamil Gamaliel, a doctor of the law had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said unto them, ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves. What ye intend to do as touching these men for before these days rose up Thaddeus boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400 joined themselves who was slain and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished and even all as many as obeyed him were dispersed. And the word dispersed is our word for winnowing. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. You know, and so here, <laughs> a Pharisee who ironically, you know, the father was actually using to speak his truth because it was this understanding that the father is going to take care of those mindsets, those religious ideas that aren't in alignment with her ways. He takes those out. You know, when you have those established, those things his breath is going to blow and it's going to remove those things. And so he was telling them, if these men aren't of God, they're not going to last. But if they are, you don't want to find yourself opposing 
the God almighty, he didn't say almighty, but we know, I mean, they knew Egypt. They knew what happened to Pharaoh when he opposed the God of this earth, you know, um, all the names of God. I was just, you know, El, the heart of God, when Pharaoh opposed that, they, the decimation that came to him. And so he's telling them, you know, if these ideologies, if it's not of God, it's going to go away. Obviously we know that they were still present because they continued to put them in prison, but it's just understanding that, you know, all these other groups that rise up, the things that are being declared from these other houses of God, you know, again, we could spend our time trying to ridicule or let them know how, what they're doing is so far off, or we submit and we speak what we know to be the truth of the father and allow him to be the one who winnows those, um, those ideologies, those perspectives that don't align with his heart. And we've got to be there speaking the truth so that when the people come from that and they're like, wow, that just got taken out, then they can turn and there's a point of truth. You know, it kind of reminds you of in the end days, you know, grabbing on to the robes of those who were sons, you know, people saying, take me with you. I want, you know, what you have, because we then have that point of identity and truth to declare, but only if we've continually kept ourselves in that place of the winnowing. Because if you're not, um, as a leader, if as a leader, let's say of the situation I was talking about, you, the best gift you can give your people is to lead them into a deeper, uh, relationship with the father in the midst of all of this, because if all you do is try to correct the issue, it's going to blow up and no one's going to have the heart of God to rely upon right. because they're all going to be having different opinions about how it should be handled and what was accomplished with it being handled and just all that stuff, that earthly stuff that gets in the way. Right. And ultimately your goal has to be, and I think back to our house when we were first coming into Sonship and all, when, when people were, you know, kind of spewing some things in the midst and, and were, um, just abandoning ship after having been part of our family for many, many years. I mean, the only thing we could do and the only thing that was worth doing was to say, we're going to continue on. This is what God's called us to. And we're going to focus on what God is trying to reveal and what he's trying to do in us. Because if we focus on this other stuff, we're going to get caught up in all that. And we, we won't even be fulfilling our identity in any way. Well, I just did you know, we could have, you know, the leadership could have focused on all that and calling out those people and writing letters to the churches they were going to, to let them know, you know, what they were doing, but then we wouldn't be where we are now. So, you know, to always keep your perspective and that when, again, when the father's using these other things to take away again, that, cause we could have lamented those that we lost. We could have lamented them forever because we love them like family. But if you continually lament that, then again, you're missing that opportunity to move forward. You're not, you become a Samuel over Saul. Right. God had to tell him, knock it off. Right. Why are you still, why are you still mourning the loss of Saul? Right. We have places to go and things to do. <laughs> but, and the way that God, 
you know, it was taking people out as a body. That's what prepared us and made us ready to move forward. So would we want to keep people that in the long run would have kept us from moving forward? Well, no, I mean, we love them. We want them to know their identity, but the reality is that you don't ever want those things as precious as they may have seemed to, you don't want to make that trade out. You know, you don't want to let, right. You don't want that to become the priority instead of, the heart of the father and that new thing that he's asking us to move in. So hopefully I didn't confuse any of that too much, <laughs> make it clear as mud, but, um, that's it. I guess I've gone over. 